Welcome to Extended Clip, Episode 9. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. Malcolm Baum. JT White. Joining us today, special guest in studio. You may know him from his film criticism for the film stage, uh, Seattle screen scene, and most recently, Reverse Shot, yeah. and host of the Catalyst and Witness podcast, Ryan Swen. Welcome to the Jean-Luc Godard Chris Kyle Studios. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, how you doing? doing well all right cool i mean we already talked about how you're doing off (laughs) real people socialize before they come on a podcast (laughs) today here to talk about a couple of films as usual the a movie today is going to be the testament of dr mabusa 1933 for its laying film after that going to be talking about confronted dark web the 2018 steven susco film now our guest brought us this double feature why don't you uh tell us a little bit about why these films are paired together well, I think that they're both very strong, very, uh, very indicative films of their present moment, but also in the way that they use technology, the way that they depict specific outside forces. I think that a lot of resonances are in there. The other one that I was thinking of pairing the B film with was The Human Search from 2016, but I thought that it might be too much to have two films from the present, and so I decided to incorporate one from the distant past. But I think the two that I selected have very specific genre conventions in common, which I think adds to both of their respective powers. Definitely. All right. Checks out with you guys, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it makes sense. Yeah. I think this is the oldest film we've had so far. Yeah. yeah. 33. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I don't even think we've done like classic Hollywood, have we? No, we haven't no. even reached no, the 60s. Are, I th- yeah. I think the, uh, no, I think the earliest we've done is like the 80s uh, Fellini and Godard movies. No, we uh, definitely did something in the 70s. All right, fine. <laughs> Devil Probably, 77. Oh, oh shit. Yeah. All right. Yep. Devil Probably, 77. Yep. Boom. That's I it. was right. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> damn. You got me. <laughs> Better leave that in. <laughs> I've been dragged. I've been shown up. The receipts have been brought forth. <laughs> My ass is finished. All right. So first of all, we're going to be talking about the Fritz Lang film. Testament of Dr. Mabusa. Now, these are also both sequels, and uh, I've not seen the first film. Now, how necessary is it for the viewer to have seen Dr. Mabusa the Gambler, you think? I think I've seen seen both, and I still haven't seen his the final part of his trilogy, Mm -hmm. The Thousand Eyes of Dr. Mabusa from 1960, which was also Lang's final film. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's particularly necessary, but I think it is really fascinating just to see that progression and like this present one the uh, dr mabusa the gamblers also very much reflective of its time in 1922 the weimar era where like in the midst of just rampant uh, rampant growth before an inevitable fall basically in terms of the economy uh, and so i think that this has resonances uh, in the same way that they both share that they both share interesting quality and they both feel very much of a piece especially in a sort of serial or a compressed serial sort of format. The biggest difference, I would say, between the first two, not having seen the first Dr. Mabusa film, is that this is a sound film, not a silent film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's, you know, it's funny, the opening segment has a really, you know, loud and chaotic soundtrack to it, mm-hmm. but it also, it kind of has a silent film aesthetic, maybe. It, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what that feeling is, but I think it right away is showing you, you know, how far it's going to push the medium sound and image. Right. I mean, yeah, it's, it was Lang's follow up to M, mm-hmm. which is still, which was his first sound film and still regarded as one of the, the greatest of early sound films. And for good reasons taught mm-hmm. very frequently for that purpose. But I think this one has even more of that, especially because he has just these incredible sound bridges that he uses throughout. And also the, like you said, the first opening segment is just this long, tracking shot through this counterfeiting factory and then it just with this almost like lynchian oscillating sort of mechanical soundtrack and mm-hmm. at the very end of it it just tilts down to show this man crouched behind a, a box basically yeah. and it's just this perfect paranoid setting for the rest of the film and the rest of the sequence 
Yeah, and you hit on something big there with Lynchian. Uh, that was in my mind the whole time I was watching the film, uh, from like the black and white stylings of Eraserhead, obviously, to really the the police procedural films. I feel like even were closer to Lynch's sensibility of how those operations went down. Yeah, uh, especially like Twin Peaks: The Return, the way the police procedurals in that work came to mind. Yeah, for sure. Because I like this being the second time I've seen uh, Testament of Doctor Mabuza. I feel like I was surprised by uh, like I had forgot how funny the interactions with the police were because oh, it's yeah. like they're like sort of bumbling like it's uh it's amusing it's a good time Loman is a really incredible yeah. character he is like also an M yeah oh yeah oh, okay yeah. yeah uh is he also the main like detective yeah I think in so M? yeah okay mm-hmm. it's been a while since I've seen M which is the only other Fritz Lang film that I've seen actually oh period Ooh. uh yeah well, those are the okay. only two I've seen and I've definitely owe it to myself to explore some more i had a great time watching this film i think yeah the lynch comparison just keeps going throughout the whole film it's kind of crazy i think this might be as key to a lot of lynch's films as you know the cornerstones that people usually touch on like wizard of oz Mm -hmm. uh, or i don't know what else people usually compare david lynch to uh but yeah i think that was definitely something that guided me through this stylistically didn't make it seem so foreign and really made it seem especially impressive for 1933 how those stylistic traits would hold up you know 80 years later yeah now that you say that i the interiors of Eraserhead really remind me of the interiors of mabusa this mabusa yeah so let's get into the uh the actual content of the film it's it's a police procedural as we've kind of noted ryan do you want to kind of start us off on where the film goes narratively well i guess uh at the end of the previous Dr. Mabusa film, he uh, he was cornered and captured and he went insane as a result of his uh, his accidental confinement by himself before the police discovered him. And so he's been in an insane asylum for the past 10 years or so. I guess like the film takes place 10 years as um, after as well. Mm-hmm. And there's been this gang committing these, these sort of, uh, these very organized, highly destructive, uh, destructive crimes and it's discovered that Mabusa has been just obsessively writing notes in a sort of like hypnotic or or just transfixed state and somehow those have been uh, been transmitted to the gang and and they're acting on his master orders and it's basically discovering how they're related how they're being transmitted while the while the investigation into the crimes are ongoing basically that is a very good way to sum up what happens over this two hours. And, you know, I don't say this in a negative way. It does feel like a very long movie. You know, it, it's a lot of this is just procedure and like scene to scene. Sometimes you n- you're not exactly sure where it's going. It gets pretty convoluted in terms of the investigation. But it has that, I don't even want to say momentum between scenes because each scene feels like its own uh, has its own start and end, has its own journey and its own like stylistic approach, really. He's really dynamic in this film, whether he's doing longer takes or using quicker editing or being still versus using a lot of movement in some cases. And I think some of the uh, like the dynamic aspect of whether or not he's moving the camera, basically, that has to do partially with sound, right? Would that have to do with like the sound equipment? I haven't looked into it personally. Okay. I don't know how much was done in post or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, because there's certain scenes that are you know much more oriented around camera movement that don't have very much dialogue going on, and it's a lot of post sync sound. Yeah, I think that's a really smart way to approach it at this time. You know, when sound equipment was kind of limiting what people could do with the camera in this early stage. One thing in terms of like the police procedural nature that I really wanted to touch on and was surprised by was the narrative sophistication of it all because there are a lot of characters that we spend time with and you get like a variety of different plots like you have the Tom and Lily sort of like romantic thing you of course have like Loman investigating you have um, the guy from the beginning yeah Yeah. Hoffmeister Mm -hmm. yeah uh, yeah. sort of go crazy from like seeing or like unraveling this Mabuza conspiracy and then also you have the you follow the like professor like taking care of Mabuza Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. yeah and those scenes the way they transition into each other I think is really savvy and uh, they'll usually be talking about a certain subject or a certain place and right when that's brought up boom we go to that location and that really kind of weaves the story 
in a way that's really satisfying. Yeah, there's a lot of clever transitions from scene to scene. As I, I like to kind of reverse what I was saying earlier about each scene being its own journey. You also have the fact that, as you were saying, dialogue will just be a transition into the next scene. And then sometimes it's not narratively. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. an image that's the transition, you know, a classic match cut. Yeah. Uh, and there's also sound transitions like that where it'll be the background noise of something, what some of that machinery chugging along that Lang uses as soundtrack throughout this will then transition to someone hitting their glass with a spoon, I think it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, some sort of silverware action going on as a transition. And I think all of the, that definitely keeps the pace moving uh, mm-hmm. for such like a dense film that has so much going on. Yeah, and I think Lang is just using everything in his bag of tricks, really, just oh, to sure. keep this movie afloat and it's it's a really successful effort yeah speaking on the style there's a lot of quick pans that i just would not see in other like early sound films or silent Mm -hmm. films uh not to say that other filmmakers weren't being expressive with camera movement at the time but some of the really quick pans that almost feel like not whoosh pans but you know they're that quick Mm -hmm. to where the movement feels like an edit almost i just felt like really worked for this film and especially during some of the shootouts when he would use that and the Mm. shootouts feel great the action in this just feels very like basically kinetic on a very fundamental Mm -hmm. level you know using quick camera movements and cuts to build momentum of people shooting each other or driving after one another uh lang is obviously very skilled in this regard yeah the the primary shootout occurring towards the the last fourth or so Mm -hmm. where it's just essentially just two places and just two two different groups shooting at each other but one is at the top of the stairs behind this barricaded door where there's only a single a single hole basically to shoot out of and then the the police downstairs um shooting up yeah and it, it just the way he orchestrates which characters are, are shooting which ones are designed to go up slightly further to get a better vantage point or a more uh, or just a closer vantage point mm-hmm. with which to shoot is just really expertly done and of course that's interlaced with another scene as well yeah at that time that is when tom and lily are trapped and yeah. flooded mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and that flood is really so they are where are they that they're trapped well they're in the in mabusa's lair basically mm-hmm. and uh throughout this entire time the gang has been communicating with B- mabusa but and he's supposedly behind this this curtain and and no one's allowed to go look behind the curtain basically yeah. uh, which is in itself a before wizard of oz sort i was gonna of, say uh, yeah idea. it definitely felt like that yeah. and 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 uh and tom tries to shoot at the curtain and it's revealed that it's just a metal silhouette and then there's a ticking time bomb and they had to figure out how to get out basically before they uh before it goes off yeah and they eventually decide to flood the room in order to dampen the explosion yeah that scene is just masterfully handed mm-hmm. handled like uh obviously it, much more poignant than the reveal in the wizard of oz i think uh, <laughs> just using this as like a pivot within the like suspense uh all the mechanics of it like build up perfectly in that scene and then yeah tom and lily uh are subject to a flood of dr mabusa's lair uh while this shootout is going on and you know, going from the water slowly rising and then cutting back to the shootout and then cutting back to them being neck deep and then back to the shootout, back to, the, you know, waves crashing around and they're almost drowning. It's really basic intercutting, but it is so perfectly executed here. Yeah. And I do say, uh, I do want to say that for for Lang, this is my favorite Lang definitely. And mm-hmm. I think it gets at just the sheer, the sheer masterfulness and sheer paranoia and sense of concrete abstraction that he manages to get at and i will say that one of the parts that makes it work for me is that a lot of his other films that i do greatly admire they also have protagonists that are perhaps not nearly as interesting as the as the mabusa or as the sort of spy master figure but i think that tom works because of because of that scene because there is this physical sort of challenge and I think this is reflected elsewhere in the film just because of how like I said that um, in sort of my letterbox blurb that it, that the reveal of the metal silhouette almost feels redundant because he's because Mabusa because he even though his physical form is locked in this asylum and just because of what he's able to transmit those orders he's he's able to give are they sort of transcend his physical form and yet those are represented in uh, in physical objects like the like 
the notes themselves, like the typewritten notes that he gives to his subordinates so that they know when to meet him. And the record player at the end where, uh, where it's revealed that the professor is in cahoots and that he's, uh, he's left the asylum where he's supposed to be and left this record player that's just rigged to go off when someone tries to, to get through the door. There's like the small details of Mabusa's just like criminal masterminds, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, all of them are built up so expertly in a way that is just so fun to watch go down, mm-hmm. no matter how much you might, you know, uh, be interested in how Tom's going to get out of the yeah. situation. Yeah. I think, yeah, the the much more interesting thing is how Mabusa is setting this all up. Not unlike a, uh, a certain uh, character of <laughs> popularity in the last decade, a certain twisted criminal mastermind <laughs> who finds this stuff, you know, funny. Uh, he thinks it's very funny to do terrible crimes. Yeah, I hope we get some touches of uh, Mabuza in the Joaquin Phoenix Joker I th- film. Yeah, I think it's only like it's our right. At yeah. this point, yeah, I think Todd like, Phillips was already saying that he was kind of inspired by that, you know, and a bunch of other films too. Oh, I'm sure, you know, <laughs> yeah, you could see shades of M in the Hangover trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, you know, some of the uh, some of the depravity of uh, mm. M you could see it perhaps in Hated, <laughs> uh, the Gigi Allen documentary. That uh, okay, made. yeah, I was gonna say it's like that's a that's a harsh uh, <laughs> that's a harsh one for the Hangover boys. <laughs> that's a harsh indictment. So at the end of the film, the damage has been done. Mabusa has uh, set fire to what? What, what building was on like fire? A chemical yeah. factory. It was like a chemical factory. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. chemical factory is on fire. Uh, but Mabusa, you know, the law, Johnny Law, always finds you. Yeah, uh, he likes to stand and watch it burn. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what he likes. To do. That's why they <laughs> caught him because yeah. he wanted to be close to the the site of the crime. It was honestly that scene and like the flooding happening mm-hmm. is what kind of reminded me of the dark knight i, I really fucking hate saying it. like it's such a terrible movie some men it's just want to watch the world burn exactly yeah. <laughs> either die a loman or live long enough to see yourself become a, a mabusa <laughs> so the last shot though is from mabusa's point of view and it's the door closing in on him in the cell and I think that's a pretty, you know, poignant note to strike because I think Lang is kind of not fully implicating the audience. Like, uh, I think I've maybe thought too much about how much I like Mabusa versus the protagonist, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but kind of implicating you like, all right, if you like this guy so much, you know, you're you're in the war with him at the end. Mm-hmm. Well, the key thing is that it's not Mabusa, the like the physical figure, because mm-hmm. he dies like halfway through the film, oh, but, yeah. it's, okay. but it's Baum, it's the... the psychologist who's become yeah. possessed or hypnotized in a certain way and that's what a lot of people draw the the parallels the specific specific specificity of the film comes from like this is at the time when nazism is on the rise and mm-hmm. i think that a lot of the statements that he gives are taken like are taken or they have the spirit the essence of what's nazism and what Goebbels and and Hitler were were propounding at the time and that because there is this almost there's this supernatural hypnotic sort of power that he has I think that's really key to the power of this film and how much it resonates uh, because it suggests this this transcendent sort of nature of the crime and like the literally one one of his notes is entitled the empire of crime and it's <laughs> him just talking about all of um about how this world can only be redeemed or can only be improved or or rescued by by crime by just total devastation of the established order basically oh yeah i have one note like a specific quote here where it's like from that monologue Mm -hmm. where he's like destroy the godless world through uh destruction and violence yeah i mean hey yeah sounds good to me (laughs) (laughs) is that the scene where um professor baum is uh confronted with the the ghost of mabuza yeah yeah mm-hmm. that, i really like the the scene before where mabuza dies you know into that scene you kind of get the stillness of mabuza dying kind of i think the scene ends with his face dead and then you transition into even before the scene with the ghost i just love him reading the notebook and 
Lang's uh, attention to detail to all the masks around the house. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Another yeah. one of Lang's strength is his attention to detail. I really, For sure. Like it's, it's, and it's full on display. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say the the backdrops of a lot of these are mm-hmm. real like mm-hmm. uh the early scene with Tom and Lily at the restaurant eating <laughs> the the painted backdrop of that like you have the not that much space where you see people walking behind the restaurant but then you see it's pretty close to that is where the painted backdrop is and it just looks mm-hmm. gorgeous uh, you know yeah. he, the mix of architecture and like painted backdrops are it's really really incredible. Yeah, I think that one of the things I love most about Lang is that even though I assume a lot of these films were were really really or reasonably budgeted or something like that, they always feel like they're shot on very low grade backlots. Like they're <laughs> just shot like the the one of like maybe my favorite scene in where there's a line of cars oh, and yeah. an assassination yeah. is is carried out Amazing. to to the sound of the cars uh, cars honking. So good, and it's just a single bullet just through several car windows to to kill this man and it's uh and that feels like it's just shot like like you can like if you pan the camera slightly left or right you can just see other sets basically i just love that (laughs) that sense that and i think that contributes to that just sense of really of of like a world that feels both immaterial and yet because of that it feels just all the more strange all the more like it could burst out into the real world Mm -hmm. that assassination scene uh the sounds of those horns some of the best work i've heard in terms of building a soundscape in like early sound Mm -hmm. film Mm -hmm. uh really really well done and the other big car scene towards the end the driving scene that that chase is so great i mean i should we should have a segment on the show of just like every driving scene (laughs) or everyone's best driving scene uh but the chase at the end is incredible and like i think the way that Lang shoots the concrete passing by with the lines moving by really reminds me of how David Lynch shoots yeah. driving at night and the sounds of those motors though are so fucking <laughs> yeah. good Lang hit on my number one cinematic fetish at the moment. <laughs> yeah. so, and it's know. just, and that those uh, shots of the ground are juxtaposed by this just amazing rear projection. Like oh, it just yeah. feels so, the the figures driving just feels so static amidst this rushing, uh, like the rushing backdrop. Yeah. And, you, and then he puts in Mabusa's face, or Mabusa oh, yeah. like just standing, pointing his, his right hand out almost in a Nazi salute. Mm-hmm. And it's just, such a perfect encapsulation of this and and with bomb's face just the most the most uh like blank and yet most stricken expression on his face yeah. is just incredible so i think that will wrap up our first segment i think we all were strongly in favor of this film yeah. absolute yeah. masterpiece yeah one of my absolute favorites Lo- love it Definitely. I mean, of the two Lang films I've seen, I prefer this to M, which I thought yeah. was lovely. So M is yeah. masterpiece as yeah. well. But yeah, they're they're all they're all great. All right. Well, we will be back to talk about Unfriended Dark Web and some other stuff. All right. See you. Welcome back to Extended Clip. Before we get into Unfriended Dark Web, you guys see anything else of interest this week? Well, I saw two films by two of my absolute faves, uh, the absolute greats, Eric Romer and Hong Sang Soo. Oh, yeah. I've been just work- well, I've been steadily working through Hong Sang Soo, and I have two films left, but the most recent one I watched was Tale of Cinema, which is absolutely incredible. And Classic. It's, yeah, it's great. It's just fifth film or some, sixth film i think and it's just i think a really fascinating transitional film and it feels both incredibly emotionally direct but i also think it has his most his most effective deployment of the cinema world and of this metafiction dual dual part structure where the first half is this short film and but it's not presented as such and then this, the second half follows the person whose life or whose story it's revealed to have been based on. And it's just him trying to recreate this story and including it's um including his trying to seduce the actress that that the 
who stars in the short film while the director is lying in the hospital (laughs) and it's just it's both it's disquieting it's it's incredibly funny as with all Hong's films and I, and for Romer I've been working through the six moral tales and so I saw a lot of collection news oh, yeah. which is a masterpiece and it's just it's so funny and so effective because it's main character is such a dick just <laughs> yeah it's just him trying him going on vacation trying to make it the first time where like he's just trying to do and think or basically just embody absolute nothingness mm-hmm as this woman who's living in the same vacation house as, as him, he's trying to figure her out basically. And it's just the, just some of the best use of voiceover, just so, just so um, rigorous, but also playful, especially in its visual style. And it's just absolutely great. I saw that one at the late, not great Cine family uh, and the air, air conditioning was broken and it was like a summer day over a hundred and everyone was just sweating their asses off in there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Tale of Cinema, though, oh man, I think about that all the time. There's the cut that separates the two halves of the film from the end mm-hmm. of the short film to the character like in the lobby of a cinema, just like yeah. looking at his flip phone. And it's such a basic image, but it tells so much about like, mm-hmm. oh, the first time you watch it, at least, that being the reveal of the structure mm-hmm. of the film, kind of. Uh, a really powerful cut between two kind of normal images. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Hong Great. is the master. Yeah. Um, I are there two the two films I want to talk about um aren't like the best things I've seen recently, mm. but I think they're interesting. The first one, uh, is Mr. Roberts, which is, um, I think John Ford is did the most of the film, but then there's mm. Mervyn Leroy, Joshua Logan, and it's like a Navy uh ship comedy. I was mostly interested because like I've been trying to this year, I mean I don't think I'm gonna pull it off, but I'm having a little bit of a lemon party. Okay. Jack Lemon <laughs> oh, <God. shit>. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, um like one of my favorite actors. I just like I don't know, there's something I really dig about his sensibility. Um and I think this is like one of his first like major performances and mm-hmm. I was curious about it. Um and it's like some parts drag it's like mostly like a comedy that i think because of the fact that like there are definitely scenes that you can tell like were after ford's involvement like ended it kind of drags but like it's a nice little fun picture there's a good performance from cagney henry fonda's in it who's also like a, a big fave um and it was a good time and then the other flick I just wanted to briefly mention that I watched was The French Connection. Uh, mm-hmm. But I just wanted to mention that uh, I had the idea while I was watching it, um, instead of Popeye O'Doyle, it's P.P.O. Diddle. Oh, um, <laughs> instead of a heroin smuggling ring, he's busting a child porn ring. Oh, shit. That it's took a, a some darker Epstein turn than I thought. Yeah. You, yeah. Could, you could still call it sure. The French Connection, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <no. laughs> Uh, I saw Written on the Wind, Douglas Sirk. I think he has the potential to be one of my favorite filmmakers. Mm-hmm. I've only seen two by him. The other one being All That Heaven Allows. But I Great. I saw this uh, really late at night, so I don't know if I was delirious or something, but it was an instant classic for me. I, oh, was, going, yeah. I was going crazy for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the opening scene alone... Is just so great. We is that a, open on a driving scene it, as well? It opens when he's on drunk a driving. As fuck? It yeah. opens on a driving scene where he's, uh, Robert Stack is drunk as fuck, comes home to see his wife, played by Lauren Bacall, uh, comforted by his best friend Rock Hudson, while his sister, who secretly wants Rock Hudson, you know, kind of lingers in the background, mm-hmm. and they each get like a almost like a TV sitcom opening like title card where yeah. they appear, you know. <laughs> and their name appears under them and it's so great you pretty much get the whole film in like in this first minute and 15 seconds that's pretty much the whole dynamic and it's so overwhelming with just effortless style you know in each frame everything pretty much the whole movie is just effortless style and i could float on that for a long time yeah i I really need to revisit that one because Mm -hmm. i watched it in film school uh in a theater like blown up off a really shitty dvd yeah and like i've watched so many fucking movies off like 2002 dvds projected (laughs) on a you know big screen uh, or not a big screen (laughs) in a full-size theater Mm -hmm. uh really ruined a lot of movies (laughs) and like thinking back on kind of like i don't know if there's anything too complex to it it's just you know straight melodrama and if you're a melodrama head like me you know Cirque's Cirque's the king obviously yeah so 
I also saw Orgasmo or Paranoia. It has multiple titles by uh, Umberto Lenzi. Small little movie about uh, a bored rich woman who lets you know, a random guy start, you know, live in her house, have sex with her. And eventually he invites her sister over and they start playing weird mind games with her. And it's pretty good. I'm going through Lenzi's filmography and kind of going through not lower level giallo people or Italian horror, but just not as, you know, not Argento, not a uh, Bava. And I'm really enjoying his work. I also saw Seven Bloodstained Orchids and both but the editing in these movies, a lot of meaningful edits and that, that stuff riles me up. So I'm getting into Lindsay. That last one had a great title. I'm going to have to check that out. <laughs> when I saw it, that you had logged Orgasmo yeah. so highly, I was like, wait, because there's the, the film by the South Park boys. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's like, a, like, yeah. Uh, like a superhero like True. porn thing. Damn. And I was like, is that yeah, like is that really good? True. I don't know. You know, I'll, hey, I might watch be. that. It could be. It could be. I'm willing to give anything a chance at this point. <laughs> I had I had a very good week of film watching. Uh, I to keep on the driving motif. I checked out Tony Scott's NASCAR epic Days of Thunder, uh, starring and co-written uh, by Tom Cruise. I don't know co-written. Co-written. Oh yeah, Jeez. man. Yeah. I gotta check that out immediately. Yeah, it's like probably the most legendary screenwriting combo of Robert Town and Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a Simpson Brookheimer vehicle, Ooh. so it's you know it's balls to the walls, crazy, everything you can throw in there, American action picture. It's a lot of fun. It, it has the classic shoehorned in, really terrible romance. Uh, this time with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Yep. Uh, you know. Healing the wounded soldier is just the best way to get laid. Uh, so yeah, it has some dumb shit in it, but I don't know. Tony Scott is such a maestro with action. You know the uh, the I think the famous essay about him, like at the start of the vulgar tourism movement, was called like Tony Scott action painter, uh, something along those lines. Action painting is something I hear about Tony Scott, and this is the film that convinced me of it. Actually, not his later stuff. There are so many quick edits of cars going by really being used as wipes kind of uh not in the same way as speed racer which i've talked about previously <laughs> using wipes during races a very different effect where you'll just get a two second cut of three cars coming at you in close-up real quick and then back to a wide and it's a really great transition and this film is just full of tricks all of the tricks that tony scott can possibly pull and some of the biggest just like shots of the sky with fucked up colors i've ever seen if you've seen the simpsons episode saturdays of thunder which has some of the most expressive backdrops i've ever seen in a cartoon it's very much based off of this tony scott film uh i also saw a, another classic ferrara i've been going through the abel ferrara catalog quite slowly over the last maybe four years and i'm finally in this late period and i saw 444 last day on earth and you know you compare that to some of his earlier new york films like the driller killer mm -hmm. or miss 45 and his view of new york it's funny, it really hasn't changed much despite the content of these films and his style being so radically different at this point. It's still just home to junkies and fucked up people who are just depraved and are willing to do whatever at any point. And Willem Dafoe is sober in this movie and he is tempted by drugs to, you know, get high again at the end of the world. And mm -hmm. he has his painter girlfriend that he's hanging out with at his loft and you know, there's some other visitors, including a uh, Chinese food delivery boy who s uses their computer to Skype home to his family. The The world is ending because of a climate disaster. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the main takeaway from the movie is that our world's going to end anyway. And it kind of just takes that at face value. Like you start the movie, you realize the world's going to end because of climate. And it's a sad reality. And it's one of the only movies that really just takes that as its starting point. Mm -hmm. and I think it's a really strong way to just start a movie and then let ferrara do his thing for 80 minutes by the way very yeah. concise movie so yeah let's talk about uh unfriended dark web oh yeah i also watched the departed last night and uh <laughs> fuck alec baldwin but that movie's great <laughs> he's great in it he yeah. is so fucking yeah. good i wish yeah. he wasn't so good have I've, you ever seen miami blues no, i've i've seen like two scenes from it i've seen one scene where he's eating pizza in his apartment yeah it's like one of the greatest i need to watch that it's, movie it changed yeah. my mind on alec baldwin yeah that's that's the alec baldwin he's movie. lucky i'm not calling him alex baldwin right now that's what i do when I'm really <laughs> call him out him. yeah <laughs> fucking alex baldwin Unfriended Dark Web 2018 film by Steven Susco, a sequel to Unfriended, a 2016 film? 2014. 2014 film. Okay, way back. I had not seen this. Uh, I had not seen the original Unfriended. 
I had seen one other film that used this stylistic approach, but we won't even fucking talk about it. Unfriended Dark Web It is a desktop film. This film uses the desktop mise-en-scene. It is all set on an Apple laptop computer. Mm-hmm. And a stolen Apple laptop yep. computer at that. We meet our hero, Mateus, by his email handle, mattyfastwheels <laughs> at gmail.com. Actually legendary. <laughs> Honestly, it is. <laughs> so, Mateus stole a computer. He has a girlfriend. He stole it for her. He needs somewhere to make his app so he can communicate with his girlfriend who is deaf and signs. And, you know, this guy should have just learned sign language. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Should have just fucking learned, mm-hmm. just buckled down, taking the courses. Yeah. But this is what happens when you say that you can't learn a new language. You know, yeah. <laughs> the real message of the film is don't like don't just try and do it for your girlfriend. Like make the effort. Yeah. It's true. Mm-hmm. We go through lots of efforts in this film. He does go through a lot of effort. So this is a desktop horror film, we should say. And he comes upon some fucked up shit on this computer. You know, he he was using it. So we should be more clear, actually. His girlfriend, they sign. They have a hard time talking over voice chat or over... um, Facebook video. Yeah, Facebook video. Uh, the Facebook thing. Come on, are kids really still on Facebook? Yeah, I guess well, they're these not kids. kids. Are. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, what I'm saying. Are true. people still on Facebook? They seem our age. About I don't know. Maybe a I still older. fuck with like Facebook video. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I use all every website. I chat through that their, their chat service. <laughs> an even play. Yeah, I got to keep an even hand. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's game night. Mateus wants to have fun with his friends tonight. Oh, I didn't explain the app. Yeah, so he's trying to build an app so he can trans auto translate himself to sign language uh for his girlfriend and it's buggy he's not a great programmer it seems like he's decent he he went to that one trade school where you learn to code in four weeks or whatever yeah didn't really do much else on his own that's what it seems like to me i don't know he's got that entrepreneurial spirit though he's helping out his girlfriend in his relationship but he's also inventing something yeah for the exactly. marketplace at the yeah. same time <laughs> Oh, God, yeah. And the marketplace is shown in this film. The marketplace yeah. of the web. Ooh. Yeah. Well, my first note here is that to counter the marketplace is one of the passwords he types in is feel the burn 2020. Yes. That is also the first thing I wrote. <laughs> my first note is feel the burn Kofifi. <laughs> Kofifi, yeah. So, also, yeah, yeah. also uh, Big Dick 69 and Handshot First, among yeah. other titles. <laughs> yeah, other so these are, these are the passwords that Mateus is trying to use to log into this stolen computer. And it ends up just being a question mark because the username is also a question mark. And right away, he's getting bombarded because just he simply logged in on this computer, which he simply should have logged off. Could have <laughs> solved the whole fucking thing. The Tony Soprano advice, you know? <laughs> Log off. That cookie shit makes me nervous. So he finally gets in. He logs in himself for email and Facebook, you know, and he's he's on it. He's posting. He He's assumed this computer as his own. It's like someone walking into someone else's house and just that's their new domestic mm-hmm. space. That's how this film treats computers, which I think is pretty smart because that is kind of how we are with our devices. Uh, it's very much an integral part of our lives, you know. And so he's in his new house. He's on his new computer and he's talking to his friends on Skype and he's slowly undercovering some weird files on his computer. The freak files. The freaky shit. <laughs> That freaky deaky shit. So, yeah, some emails about pizza parties. Oh, shit. <laughs> this is actually the pizza episode part two. Yeah. <laughs> no, so he is slowly figuring out that whoever had this computer is doing some fucked up shit. You know, it seems like these girls are sending him Facebook messages to get plane tickets that he said he would pay for and then he has this encrypted folder that takes up 99% of his hard drive and a one terabyte hard drive yeah. a one terabyte hard drive yeah which is you know hey relatable I guess yeah. no, honestly set your fucking game up hacker like yeah. I have a one terabyte hard drive it's like yeah. you know uh, that was actually the most relatable part of the movie was seeing one terabyte hard drive 965 gigabytes movies uh, yeah. <laughs> hey yeah. that's me honestly, honestly you know with like the girls trying to get him to fly out and like the terabyte hard drive he could just be any guy on twitter right yeah. now yeah <laughs> 
complete with a with a header photo of him pouring champagne into a, like a Porsche or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's an incredible header image. Flex. I will say, like the uh, the attention to detail here in the digital mise en scene is really impressive. When you're looking at these Facebook pages that were made for the film and the way that the characters are flipping between their Skype channels and how adept they are at using computers. These are not hackers. These are people who just know how to use computers, mm-hmm. except for one character is kind of more of a hacker. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's a very accurate representation of posting. Uh, you know, it's very good at that. Yeah, I also feel like in terms of another sense of like feeling accurate, like to, I don't know, just like the 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 friendship aspect of like all of them hanging out. I mean, I feel like the the premise of like having a digital game night is kind of a little hokey and some of the dialogue is a little corny, but there are moments like that really feel like it's some heavy normie vibes, Yeah, but like yeah. parts of it that like hit hard that are like little details. Like Cards there's, against humanity. Yeah. There's, yeah. One, there, there's one part where like um, one of the friends uh, corrects uh, the main character on the pronunciation of the river sticks. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, I was like, that's such a good yeah. little detail. Yeah. You the know, one thing he fucking retained from history class was to correct his <laughs> You know, viewing this movie through a more sadistic lens, you know, if, you know, you see all these, you know, quote unquote normies, you know, playing cards against humanity, bullshit games like that, mm-hmm. you know, you get to see him die brutally. So, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As Angela Nangle said, kill all normies. <laughs> oh, God. Maybe we shouldn't associate. Yo, with shout her. out, uh, shout out, Angela yeah. Nang. Are you guys Nang gang? Nang. God, Nang. Nang. <laughs> it's too inside baseball, dude. <laughs> so, yeah, these normies—they play cards against humanity. You know, freaking cringeworthy, crazy, dark humor. Uh, but you know, it's relatable. It's understandable. We've all been to college. We've met these people. They might not have our sensibilities, and it also might not be fun to watch them die, though. You know, true, yeah, no, uh, yeah. There's definitely enough at stake here, and I'm not, as we've covered on this podcast, I'm not exactly a gets invested in characters emotionally type guy, but you know, they you could root for them for to use a terrible phrase about movies. Yeah, uh, there are definitely characters you can root for that you want them to not get killed by fucking weird sex criminals that use the dark web uh one thing i wanted to like mention in terms of like i I know we're talking about a lot of the things uh the movie gets right about like posting and the internet and the digital space and i feel like it's kind of like a little obvious but i like i mean through the sign language stuff i think it's really fascinating the way the film depicts like misunderstanding in the digital Mm -hmm. world Mm -hmm. and like how difficult it is to communicate. And I think that comes across really well with him trying to develop that app, but like in other ways, like how easy it is to like misinterpret intentions and like how they're unraveling like the original owner of the computer. Like, I think that's one of the most fascinating parts about the film to me. Goodbye to language. Am I right, fellas? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I think internet as means of communication with all of its imperfections are greatly shown here you know the the vast capabilities and the very obvious shortcomings are on full display and i think it does a really good job at that and you know as just a film about the way we live it Mm -hmm. really works on that level you know i think it's uh you could say it's a gimmick the desktop approach but i will say that a more accurate representation of what the the viewer's eyes are used to than a lot of other movies. Mm-hmm. People are used to the desktop mise-en-scene covering their face, you know? Right. Uh, and I think it's a really bold approach that, like, has still only been done in, like, three major American feature films. Mm-hmm. This, the original one, and Searching, right? Those are the so. only three that I can yeah. think of. And I think it's, you know, there are segments of other films that use this, but I think that the desktop mise-en-scene and eventually the mobile phone mise-en-scene will become a lot more popular in cinema. Mm-hmm. And I think this is definitely going to go down in history. It's like what, This and the original Unfriended, mm-hmm. I'm sure, will go down in history as like very important films in that aspect. I could be totally fucking wrong, though, <laughs> and like seem like I'm a guy in the 80s talking about 3D. Like, I, <laughs> no, I feel you. I mean, one thing... like I'm Or curi- the 50s talking about 3D, but go on. Yeah. I'm curious how you guys watched this flick, because I was originally like going to like 
like hook up my laptop to the big TV, mm-hmm. watch it on the big board. But it just made like so much more sense to me. Like I'm gonna watch it on my fucking laptop. Yeah. It yeah, like same. makes you you get into it more. Mm-hmm. Did you guys all watch it on your laptop? No, I watched it on my TV. My laptop, my laptop. screens. My laptop screens too fucked up. To watch yeah, I watched it on my laptop plugged into my TV. But that is also how I post. For those interested oh. in my that posting is setup. <laughs> Yeah, it's like kind of like a gamer chair system. Like. Oh, of course. <laughs> Just the Doritos on the left side, <laughs> like a big Mountain Dew on the left. Well, it's a dispenser. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know how people do like iced coffee cubes? Like they'll freeze little things of iced oh. coffee for ice cubes. That's me with Mountain Dew. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go a bottle of Code Red over some original flavor cubes <laughs> for the classy nights. <laughs> that rules. so to get into the action of the narrative Mateus you know he finds these files and he's showing them to his friends on screen share they seem like um, they're the front camera of phones or of laptops or of security cameras and they're all labeled by address labeled in a way that I think could use some cleaning up I will say (laughs) Uh, they are you know alphabetical and by number of address but come on like use some spaces use some hyphens I don't know. I, I organize my video folders much uh, better yeah. than this hacker is all I'm going to say. But they watch these videos. His friends freak the fuck out. He's freaking out as he's doing it. And then he meets the 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 guy. He meets the bad guy. Uh, mm-hmm. He meets Sharon 4 as he's yeah. later revealed to be. And he meets him over the webcam. He's at his girlfriend's house. He's And he kills his girlfriend's roommate, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's presented really well. Every time, you know, this hacker comes on screen, he's deploying something that triggers uh, a glitch in, like, the camera that's capturing him. And he's shown in this pixelated form that is lagging behind. Kind of like if you're watching it on Filmstruck, if you know what I mean. Oh, <laughs> damn. <Fucking> got it. <laughs> Rip. Yeah. No. Rest in piss. That's yeah. what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry if you worked on that site. (laughs) (laughs) Just do better next time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. This is the episode where I go on my tirade, my (laughs) anti-film (laughs) strike slash criterion channel. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'll save that for when it's just us three. I don't want to make Ryan suffer through that. (laughs) (laughs) So... Is he referred to as anything other than uh, Sharon 4? No. That's just what we call him? All right. Yeah. That's kind of a lame name, but whatever. <laughs> All these fucking online weirdos have weird names, so it's mm-hmm. fitting in that regard. So he's on this like private you know, uh, tour-like server called The River. And it's like a, it's a Minecraft-built <laughs> river like that it, you yeah. float yeah. through on your desktop. And people can interact yeah. with you. Uh, it's it's kind of cool. It looks like some you know 1998 internet type yeah. shit. Mm-hmm. And there's all these other Sharons, and they all enjoy videos of women being killed. That's yeah. what's on mm-hmm. those fucking surveillance videos. And really, I feel like what incites it is this: the one guy approaches uh, like him thinking that he's Sharon for. Uh, let's just call this other guy. Alan Dershowitz <laughs> and he transfers um, like is it like 10 it's like a million dollars 10 mil 10 yeah, million bitcoin 15,000 uh, bitcoin xbt <laughs> uh, to him and that's sort of how we unravel it get into the the river sticks sort of thing yeah uh, man the fucking messenger on the river has <laughs> the most anxiety inducing uh notification for a new message <laughs> yeah. that shit had me pounding when he's getting interrogated by the other Sharons and it's just building up like that that's another very real the anxiety of notifications piling up he gets this <laughs> earlier on Facebook when uh, uh, the guy is oh I guess his name is uh, well it's a pseudonym because yeah. it's Nora Sharon backwards C. yeah, yeah. Uh, when he's on Sharon's Facebook page as Nora and people are messaging him and then the girl that this guy uh, kidnapped her account is just spamming him you know who the fuck are you why are you on this fucking account log off uh, give my fucking computer back it's really intense i don't know i was legitimately shaken up by those notifications more than almost anything in the film i i, I went i went to the asl class um... no no i'm just uh 
yeah and it's juxtaposed with his with maddie's face like in the in the sort of skype window just reacting mm-hmm. to it yeah like, and you have a lot of that throughout and that's really one of the great things about the the way that the desktop camera or desktop um mise-en-scene is used is that it allows these juxtapositions and it allows these different screens playing out sometimes you can see like the friends in the corner as they're yeah. talking while mm-hmm. this uh, is unfolding and you know you have a lot of screens covering screens on on the side cut yeah. off by the edge of the frame it's yeah and a lot of like mixing like he'll cut his audio on his skype chat mm-hmm. to use facebook and then cut the uh, the video once in a while and his you know he seems like he's very experienced at running a Facebook video and a Skype chat at the same yeah. time. Uh, he's he's done this tango, you know, more than... <laughs> yeah. This isn't his first rodeo, is what yeah. I mean to say. Honestly, pretty complex, come to think of it. Just because, like, is, are those people just ignoring him in the Skype call when he's talking to his girlfriend? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. enough yeah. people. There's, what, True. F- there's five people? Yeah. 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 That's an interesting group dynamic right there, just dipping in and out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So as the hacker whose computer it is, is trying to track him down through Facebook and then now through his girlfriend Amaya's Facebook, that's now his new connection to him is his Facebook chat with his girlfriend. That's his connection to the hacker who is now also watching his screen. And he reveals this in a really terrifying way, but he's video chatting at uh, Mateus's girlfriend's house. He shows the screen of his phone which is the screen that we're looking at, Mateus's laptop screen, to show that he's screen sharing with him and seeing everything he does and hearing everything he does. And it creates that classic loop, like when you hold a mirror up to another yeah. mirror and this endless hall of just his fucking creepy-ass blue-gloved hands uh, holding an iPhone. And it's just one of the greatest images of terror that I've seen, like representing, you know, 2010's digital horror. So from that point on... I stopped taking notes. I will concede this film, like, I will give this film full credit in terms of pure horror suspense mechanics of me not wanting to think about other things, me being frightened for the characters. Mm-hmm. Something that, you know, I'm not like a fucking baby. I don't get scared of <laughs> movies, but this movie got me. I don't know. It's what it's, you know, a few a year, I would say. A few horror films a year yeah. get me on that level. Even ones that aren't that good, you know, they'll at least have me on that base level. And this one definitely did. And so as it's going, you know, the plot thickens. These Sharons are harassing him. And he knows that he's in this fucking crazy game of murder and snuff films. Really, it's a snuff film distribution center, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. I don't know. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> okay. It's terrible. But I mean, how, how is it cool? Hear me out. <laughs> in an era where local video stores are by the wayside you need that personal touch of someone giving you their own video this is honestly like every defense of like feet shots yeah (laughs) once upon a time (laughs) so yeah they're interrogating him all of these fucking creepy terrible murderers uh who get off on this shit i'm guessing uh, fucking what do you get off on this shit <laughs> fucked up bunch man. of online weirdos <laughs> bunch of online sick if you're doing that stuff don't listen to the podcast yeah. stop stop turn this off I take back what I said about it being very cool <laughs> <laughs> it's not that cool <laughs> so he had to Mateus that is had to tell his friends that this is just a game and it's a terrible lie and the friends don't fucking buy it they buy it for like 20 minutes but you can tell they don't actually buy it And he's backtracking and he tells his hacker friend that it's not actually a game. And they're trying to figure this thing out. And a really nice little game that comes into it. So he makes a deal with the hacker. Come to my house. Give me my girlfriend. I'll give you your computer back. Uh, It's A A simple exchange of two (laughs) objects. simple exchange, yeah. All you need to run a fucking dark net snuff film conspiracy is a girl and a computer. (laughs) (laughs) So when they go into the subway, the Wi-Fi cuts out and the Facebook video feed dies. And that's Mateus' time to come clean to his friends and work together with them in classic slasher film form to take down the bad guy. But also in classic slasher film form, the bad guys, plural, the other Sharons, are fucking hunting down the friends one by one, picking them off. And 
I gotta say, some pretty fucking brutal kills in this. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the setup of his friend AJ, who is also oh. a podcaster, and thus has <laughs> my most empathy. <laughs> Anti-podcasting movie, by the way. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. It hates his podcast. It's and a conspiracy it, podcast, too. Yeah, he it goes is. on a long rant about the the Bilderbergs, the um, Cambridge Analytica, sh- Sharks <laughs> Leviathans. <crackers. laughs> Honestly, with all the face- use of Facebook in this movie, the anti-conspiracy messaging, it's not unreasonable to think this might be a CIA PSYOP (laughs) (laughs) it's a PSYOP folks oh man we got him we got him we gotta turn him in Jason Blum (laughs) the whole time he's been gaining our trust (laughs) yeah so some of the kills are really great the podcaster who gets blown off like uh, the hackers assemble all of these clips from his podcast to make it seem like he's calling in a threat. And I will say right away, it takes me back to one of my favorite all time movies that uses the same exact conceit. You may remember if you've seen the Paul Flaherty comedy masterpiece, Clifford, (laughs) Uh, Clifford takes tapes of his uncle, Martin, Charles Grodin, uh, talking about his new subway system and how great it's going to be and makes that into a bomb threat to call the cops with. Same thing is done in this. The cops show up locked and loaded. The hackers load up a fucking gunshot sa- or a gun loading sample, yeah, a gun cocking sample. Yeah, a shotgun. Play it via Bluetooth off of the speaker system that AJ was showing off earlier, appropriately named AJ's New Bumps, yeah. which taken straight out of The Sopranos, really. <laughs> if The Sopranos were still going, he would definitely name his Bluetooth speaker AJ's News Bumps. Uh, and yeah, the cops fucking shoot him because of the, the sample, and it's yeah. terrifying. It is one of the most well executed kills I've seen in a horror film in the last few years. Really possibly my favorite part of this movie. Yeah. It's really great. Mm-hmm. It really made me like anxious about the things I say while podcasting. I don't want <laughs> anyone to take anything I say out of context and make it explicit <laughs> that I want to kill the police. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't I wouldn't want, you know, them to edit me saying anything like snuff films are cool or anything like that. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't want to reveal my identity as the Joker. (laughs) I would never say I'm the Joker. Hi, this is Martin Daniels. I'm not home right now, but I've got a bomb under City Hall. Talk to you later. Oh, well, no, no. That's the other, you know, there is a very Joker moment later. One of the kills, the another audio manipulation uh, when one of the girls is made to choose between her mm-hmm. sick mother and her new fiance girlfriend the audio is manipulated you know whittled away slightly between a video and they enable it they enable her camera before the Skype call starts so you see her you know talking shit about her friends a little bit not talking shit but you mm-hmm. know like oh god AJ god he's off his meds he's going to fucking go wild and then the friends really don't care because they know what they're watching they know they're about to watch one of their friends die and they, if you're watching the reaction shots on the Skype feed, there's really no like change in their emotions there. Mm-hmm. They're still just terrified. They don't care about this petty high, not high school. They're older than that, but yeah. this petty bullshit about you know talking shit about your friends on a Skype call or whatever. <laughs> because uh, yeah, the audio is finally whittled down to I don't want you to make a choice, and then she has to make a choice. She doesn't make a choice, and both die. Yeah, and that that subway car is that's a brutal yeah. kill as well. Yeah. And you can see in the because that's the, the same subway that Amaya's riding, so you can mm-hmm. see in the bottom left the the face the Facebook video still going, and you can see at the exact moment the impact happens mm-hmm. that you see the the car just come to a stop. Yeah, it's just like that's just one of my favorite uh, parts of the film. That's it. Yeah, that's another. I will say all of the kills in this film are among the best parts. Uh, they're yeah. all really well executed and so yeah they're picking him down one by one and then Mateus leaves his house and it turns out it's uh set up one of the Sharons comes in with the girl uh and well I guess that would be Sharon 4 if he had that girl that just went missing right well no it's a different one because, oh okay yeah. yeah okay so one of those guys comes in with the local girl who just went missing plants her in Mateus's room as he's riding his bike to the subway 
the hackers also, you know, send his girlfriend a text for a new address. It ends very bleakly. I will yeah. say there's no heroes here. No time to be a hero. He gets fucking mowed down uh, after via a nice after little pull. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's like 80% or like eight, 90% to, to kill him. Yeah. yeah. Just, that had major like Twitch stream uh, yeah. vibes. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> let's get a, let's get a kill Mateus going in the yeah. chat. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, also, his girl. The last time we see his girlfriend, she walks into a sex dungeon, right? Yeah, the, it looks well, like the one in the first yeah, video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. Is, it's web. the same thing from the video. Yeah, exactly. But I don't think she just gets like knocked out, and then it's a hard cut after it, right? I know, but that's you yeah, know, that's yeah. It's, it's pretty bleak. Is, oh, yeah, 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 for yeah, sure. Yeah, no, it's, she's gonna die for sure. Yeah. It's terrible. And then uh, we slowly get that the screen we've been watching, and that's mm-hmm. part of one of a bigger display, and then a bigger display, and it's the main hackers uh big old setup with yeah, yeah. some you know he's got like some audio equipment he's making beats on the side yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. fucking trolls behind a keyboard yeah. Yeah. and this entire thing has been the the Sharon's own game night yeah and it's mm-hmm. the 14th one i think they say and mm-hmm. you just have all like this chat running vote for next game night. i think tokyo's in the lead then new york yeah. city is after that mm-hmm. and like uh so some, it's all these creeps all over the yeah exactly world. Yeah. and yeah. like as and as the camera's pulling out you see all these different Sharons, including a police officer, like all looking into their own respective cameras of each of the characters had been yeah. inhabiting before. Uh, some choice quotes from the from the chat are Lal Matias, such a cry baby. Uh, <laughs> hashtag pwned bike. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, this the best game night ever. <laughs> yeah. uh, and there's also an odds board running uh, on, on the screen that yeah. says... Uh, Time AJ talks politics. Time to first kill. Uh, Matthias time to warehouse. Matthias tries to save Erica. Number of times AJ shot, which and they said the over under was four point five, which yeah. is like way too low. They yeah. like he shot like ten times. Yeah, they uh, just fucking destroyed and him. They the, him down. And the the best of all times, Matthias cries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you just get that. And like, uh, infamously, this had multiple endings, like multiple. Oh. I was going to ask about yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah. was was what I described the theatrical ending? Yeah, I think well, it was the main theatrical ending. Like, okay. and I don't think the film really works without it mm-hmm. because you just get this vast representation of everything of just these people, these very these pretty nice young adults. Um, they're just all pawns. They're all just uh, they're just all fodder for for these master planners and that's really what connects Mabusa and and uh this film for me is just that sensibility of people caught in the larger they're, they're trapped within this larger complex this larger network of things uh, and i do want to say one of the things that really make i do like the first unfriended a lot mm-hmm. uh what sets this apart for me i think what makes it all the more terrifying is that these very specifically are pretty nice or they're, they're nice they're pretty relatable young adults living in la oh yeah yeah too, and yeah. like you, and the subway it's on the red line mm-hmm, i think and mm-hmm. you, they say it's the western station but the you can see the science is universal city oh okay. which i literally passed by as i was coming here yeah <laughs> and, and so you and, and it's just like very potent the way that it shows that these are all people who know each other in real life that they're all wonderful to each other and they all have a very strong camaraderie and that does nothing for them in the end they're all just yep. people to be killed off and yeah it's just great and local listeners to the podcast will know that that red line station universal city is directly under geographically a large minion that <laughs> on the 101 freeway uh going past universal studios hollywood uh, so that about wraps up our thoughts on Unfred. You guys want to? You guys liked it, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think like I kind of liked it a little less than you guys, but uh-huh. still liked it. I like the first Unfriended more. Mm-hmm. I just kind of like the kind of teen drama, and it's a little more. <laughs> it's so it's it's yeah, it's more of like an unraveling of like the secrets within a friendship. Okay, and right. They're more. It's kind of like the opposite of what you said. Mm-hmm. They're like they're uh, combative against each other. And yeah, a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming. Nice. I was I was with it. I mean, I like There's that a, over a blender kill. Too. Yeah. <laughs> blender kill. There's some yeah, good I'm kills not, in the. Yeah. I'm definitely gonna have to check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah same. I think it, it might be even done like the digital mise en scene. Even though I prefer this one, I think it might be done even better in yeah. the first one. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. There's some nice Skype video glitching, like mm-hmm. stopping and starting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which is really why cool, we so. will never have a Skype guest on. Our <laughs> yeah. As a frequent Skype user around the time the movie was released, it, it resonated with me. Damn, I have taken maybe three video calls in my life 
and never will do it again. <laughs> uh, JT, final thoughts? <laughs> um, yeah, this hit me hard because uh, in the middle of that, the Epstein shit, like I was right in the, the right sweet spot of like paranoid conspiracy, dark net, mm-hmm. dark net shit that it's like, I, I don't know. Obviously, I don't think uh, we're going to be murdered by the uh, like alt-right trolls, but uh, <laughs> who's to say? I mean, you guys ever been on the dark web? Yeah. I, yeah. I, you know, I had Tor on my computer yeah. when I first heard about it. I got a hold of that shit, you know, browsed around uh, the old, the glory days, you know, the old Silk Road days. Yeah. I browsed. I, you know, I never Same. purchased any goods or services. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or nothing in between. I, look, <laughs> uh, all right, gotta cover my ass. Uh, I've never owned any cryptocurrency, so it's fucking impossible yeah. to buy that shit anyway. But yeah, you know, uh, I, then I deleted Tor off my computer because yeah. I was like, I don't need this shit. It's, <laughs> it's useless unless you want, you know, some bad videos or drugs. It just yeah. seems like fi- yeah, stuff like that. But it's just like files, like like government files that you yeah. can just find online. So don't don't go on the deep web, folks. Yeah, unless you're trying to get on that like Snowden type shit, you Snowden. know. <laughs> <laughs> and, or you, you can buy drugs off the deep web too. I guess I've no, you know. Yeah, if you want, you can buy drugs on like the soft web though, the, like soft the normal web. <laughs> you can like, buy it on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> so that just about wraps up this week's extended clip. We went a little long this week. Uh, for the listener, I'm cutting a lot out, but I'm looking at an hour fifteen right now. So oh this God. is a heftier episode than usual. It'll probably be more like an hour flat. But thank you for listening, as always. We are at Extended Clip 69 on Twitter and Extended Clip Podcast at gmail.com. Me personally, I'm on Twitter, as you may know, at iPod underscore video. I'm Bitchface Palace on Twitter. I'm at Tallboy Thin Legs. And Ryan, if the listeners don't already know you, where, where can they get in touch with you? Well, I'm on Twitter at Swen underscore Ryan, S W E N underscore R Y A N. I. Most of pretty much everything that I write is posted or linked on my website, Taipei Mansions, and I write for Sales Green Scene, uh, the film stage, reverse shot. Uh, yeah. All right. Congrats on the reverse shot placement. Thank that's, you very much. You know, for any uh, any of us type of people, that's a big deal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we all we all love the RS. You know, the purple backdrop, the you know, yeah, web design. Yeah. We love it. Reverse yeah. shot. If you want to come on the podcast, <laughs> at reverse shot. Yeah. I mean, it's just. It's just That's, run by Koreski. Yeah, I was so. going to say. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, you know. Yeah, it's my... You know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you again. See you next week. Everything becomes chaos. I'm an agent of chaos. Oh, and you know the thing about chaos? It's fair. Hi, this is Clifford. I can't tell you where my Uncle Martin is right now, but I'll give you a hint. Kaboom!